0: Section 7 of Orpheus in Mayfair and Other Stories and Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Follis. Orpheus in Mayfair and Other Stories and Sketches by Maurice Baring. A LUNCHEON PARTY PART ONE Mrs. Bergman was a widow. She was American by birth and marriage, and English by education and habits. She was a fair, beautiful woman, with large eyes and a white complexion. Her weak point was ambition, and ambition with her took the form of luncheon parties it was one summer afternoon that she seized with the great idea of her life it consisted in giving a luncheon-party which should be more original and amusing than any other which had ever been given in london the idea became a mania it left her no peace it possessed her like venom or like madness she could think of nothing else she racked her brains in imagining how it could be done but the more she was harassed by this aim the further off its realization appeared to her to be at last it began to weigh upon her she lost her spirits and her appetite her friends began to remark with anxiety on the change in her behaviour and in her looks she herself felt that the situation was intolerable and that success or suicide lay before her one evening towards the end of june as she was sitting in her lovely drawing-room in her house in mayfair in front of her tea-table on which the tea stood untasted brooding over the question which unceasingly tormented her she cried out half aloud i'd sell my soul to the devil if he would give me what i wish at that moment the footman entered the room and said there was a gentleman downstairs who wished to speak with her what is his name asked mrs Bergman the footman said he had not caught the gentleman's name and he handed her a card on a tray she took the card on it was written mr nicholas l satan one pandemonium terrace burning marl hell telephone number one central show him up said mrs bergman quite naturally as though she had been expecting the visitor she wondered at her own behavior and seemed to herself to be acting inevitably as one does in dreams mr satan was shown in he had a professional air about him but not of the kind that suggests needy or even learned professionalism he was dark his features were sharp and regular his eyes keen his complexion pale his mouth vigorous and his chin prominent he was well dressed in a frock coat black tie and patent leather boots he would never have been taken for a conjurer or a shop-walker but he might have been taken for a slightly depraved art photographer who had known better days he sat down near the tea-table opposite mrs bergman holding his top-hat which had a slight mourning band round it in his hand i understand madam he spoke with an even american intonation you wish to be supplied with a guest who will make all other luncheon parties look so to speak like thirty cents yes that is just what i want answered mrs bergman who continued to be surprised at herself well i reckon there's no one living who'd suit said mr satan and i'd better supply you with a celebrity of a former generation he then took out a small pocket book from his coat pocket and quickly turning over its leaves he asked in a monotonous tone "'Would you like a philosopher, Anaxagoras, Aristotle, Aurelius, M?' "'Oh, no,' answered Mrs. Bergman with decision. "'They would ruin any luncheon.' "'A saint?' suggested Mr. Satan. "'Antony, Ditto, of Padua. Athanasius, Augustine, Anselm.' "'Good heavens, no,' said Mrs. Bergman. "'A theologian, good arguer,' asked Mr. Satan. "'Aquinas, T?' "'No.' interrupted mrs bergman for heaven's sakes don't always give me the a's or we shall never get on to anything you'll be offering me adam and abel next i beg your pardon said mr satan latimer laud historic interest church and politics combined he added quickly i don't want a clergyman said mrs bergman artist said mr satan andrea del sarto angelo m appels you're going back to the a's interrupted mrs bergman bellini benvenuto cellini botticelli he continued imperturbably what's the use of them when i can get sergeant every day asked mrs bergman a man of action perhaps alexander bonaparte caesar j cromwell o hannibal too heavy for lunch," she answered. "They would do for dinner. Plain statesmen: Bismarck, Count Chatham, Lord Franklin, B. Richelieu, Cardinal. That would make the members of the cabinet feel uncomfortable," she said. "A monarch: Alfred. Beg pardon. He's an A. Richard the Third, Peter the Great, Louis the Eleventh, Nero. No." said mrs bergman i can't have a royalty it would make it too stiff i have it said mr satan a highwayman dick turpin or a housebreaker jack Shepherd or charles peace oh no said mrs bergman they might steal the sevres a musician bach or beethoven he suggested he's getting into the bees now thought mrs bergman no she added aloud we should have to ask him to play and he can't play wagner i suppose and musicians are so touchy i think i have it said mr satan a wit dr johnson sheridan sydney smith we should probably find their jokes dull now said mrs bergman thoughtfully miscellaneous inquired mr satan and turning over several leaves of his notebook he rattled out the following names Alcibiades, kind of statesman beau Brummel, fop cagliostro conjurer robespierre politician charles stuart pretender warwick kingmaker borgia a pope ditto c toxicologist wallenstein mercenary bacon Roger, man of science ditto f Dishonest official Tell W Patriot Jones Paul Pirate Luculus Glutton Simon stylites Eccentric Casanova Loose Liver Casabianca Cabin Boy Chico Jester Sayers T Prize Fighter Cook Captain Tourist Nebuchadnezzar Food faddist Juan D lover froissart War Correspondent Julian Apostate don't you see said mrs bergman we must have someone everybody has heard of david garrick actor and wit suggested mr satan it's no good having an actor nobody has seen act said mrs bergman what about poet asked mr satan homer virgil dante byron shakespeare shakespeare she cried out, "'The very thing! Everybody has heard of Shakespeare, more or less, and I expect he'd get on with everybody and wouldn't feel offended if I asked Alfred Austin or some other poet to meet him. Can you get me Shakespeare?' "'Certainly,' said Mr. Satan. "'Day and date.' "'It must be Thursday fortnight,' said Mrs. Bergman. "'And what are uh, your terms?' the usual terms he answered in return for supernatural service rendered you during your lifetime your soul reverts to me at your death mrs bergman's brain began to work quickly she was above all things a practical woman and she immediately felt she was being defrauded i cannot consent to such terms she said surely you recognize the fundamental difference between this proposed contract and those which you concluded with others with faust for instance they sold the full control of their soul after death on condition of your putting yourself at their entire disposal during the whole of their lifetime whereas you ask me to do the same thing in return for a few hours service the proposal is preposterous mr satan rose from his chair in that case madam he said i have the honour to wish you a good afternoon stop a moment said mrs bergman i don't see why we shouldn't arrive at a compromise i am perfectly willing that you should have the control over my soul for a limited number of years i believe there are precedents for such a course let us say a million years 10 million said mr satan quietly but firmly in that case answered mrs bergman we will take no notice of leap year and we will count 365 days in every year certainly said mr satan with an expression of somewhat ruffled dignity we always allow leap year but of course 13 years will count as 12 of course said mrs bergman with equal dignity then perhaps you will not mind signing the contract at once said mr satan drawing from his pocket a typewritten page mrs bergman walked to the writing-table and took the paper from his hand over the stamp please said mr satan must i er sign it in blood asked mrs bergman hesitatingly you can if you like said mr satan but i prefer red ink it is quicker and more convenient he handed her a stylograph pen must it be witnessed she asked no he replied these kinds of documents don't need a witness in a firm, bold handwriting, Mrs. Bergman signed her name in red ink across the sixpenny stamp. She half expected to hear a clap of thunder and to see Mr. Satan disappear, but nothing of the kind occurred. Mr. Satan took the document, folded it, placed it in his pocket-book, took up his hat and gloves, and said— mr william shakespeare will call to luncheon on thursday week at what hour is the luncheon to be one-thirty said mrs bergman he may be a few minutes late answered mr satan good afternoon madam and he bowed and withdrew mrs bergman chuckled to herself when she was alone i have done him she thought to herself, because ten million years in eternity is nothing. He might just as well have said one second as ten million years, since anything less than eternity in eternity is nothing. It is curious how stupid the devil is in spite of all his experience. Now, I must think about my invitations. Part Two the morning of mrs bergman's luncheon had arrived she had asked thirteen men and nine women but an hour before luncheon an incident happened which nearly drove mrs bergman distracted one of her guests who was also one of her most intimate friends mrs telephoned to her saying she had quite forgotten but she had asked on that day a man to luncheon whom she did not know and who had been sent to her by walford the famous professor she ended the message by saying she would bring the stranger with her what is his name asked mrs bergman not without intense irritation meaning to put a veto on the suggestion his name is and at that moment the telephone communication was interrupted and in spite of desperate efforts mrs bergman was unable to get on to mrs lockton again she reflected that it was quite useless for her to send a message saying that she had no room at her table because angela lockton would probably bring the stranger all the same then she further reflected that in the excitement caused by the presence of shakespeare it would not really much matter whether there was a stranger there or not a little before half-past one the guests began to arrive lord pantry of assouan the famous soldier was the first comer he was soon followed by professor morgan an authority on greek literature mr peebles the ex-prime minister mrs hubert baldwin the immensely popular novelist the fascinating mrs rupert duncan who was lending her genius to one of ibsen's heroines at that moment miss medea tring one of the latest american beauties corporal the portrait painter richard giles critic and man of letters hereward blenheim a young and rising politician who before the age of thirty had already risen higher than most men of sixty sir horace sylvester k c m g the brilliant financier, with his beautiful wife lady irene professor leo newcastle the eminent man of science lady hyacinth gloucester and mrs milden who were well known for their beauty and charm osmond hall the paradoxical playwright monsieur faubourg the psychological novelist count sciara an italian nobleman about fifty years old who had written a history of the popes and who was now staying in london lady Herman, the beauty of a former generation still extremely handsome and wilmot the successful actor-manager they were all assembled in the drawing-room upstairs talking in knots and groups and pervaded by a feeling of pleasurable excitement and expectation so much so that conversation was intermittent and nearly everybody was talking about the weather the right honourable john lockton the eminent lawyer was the last guest to arrive Angela will be here in a moment, he explained. She asked me to come on first. Mrs. Bergman grew restless. It was half-past one and no Shakespeare. She tried to make her guests talk with indifferent success. The expectation was too great. Everybody was absorbed by the thought of what was going to happen next. Ten minutes passed thus and Mrs. Bergman grew more and more anxious at last the bell rang and soon mrs lockton walked upstairs leading with her a quite insignificant ordinary-looking middle-aged rather portly man with shiny black hair bald on the top of his head and a blank good-natured expression i'm so sorry to be so late louise dear she said let me introduce mr to you and whether she had forgotten the name or not mrs bergman did not know or care at the time but it was mumbled in such a manner that it was impossible to catch it mrs bergman shook hands with him absent-mindedly and looking at the clock saw that it was ten minutes to two i have been deceived she thought to herself and anger rose in her breast like a wave At the same time, she felt the one thing necessary was not to lose her head or let anything damp the spirits of her guests. We'll go down to luncheon directly, she said. I'm expecting someone else, but he probably won't come till later. She led the way, and everybody trooped downstairs to the dining room, feeling that disappointment was in store for them mrs bergman left the place on her right vacant she did not dare fill it up because in her heart of hearts she felt certain shakespeare would arrive and she looked forward to a coup de theatre which would be quite spoilt if his place was occupied on her left sat count sciarra the unknown friend of angela lockton sat at the end of the table next to wilmot the luncheon started haltingly angela lockton's friend was heard saying in a clear voice that the dust in london was very trying have you come from the country asked m faubourg i myself am just returned from oxford where i once admired your admirable english lawns <inaudible> yes said the stranger i only came up to town to-day because it seems indeed a waste and a pity to spend the finest time of the year in london Count chiara who had not uttered a word since he had entered the house turned to his hostess and asked her whom she considered after herself to be the most beautiful woman in the room lady irene lady hyacinth or mrs Milden mrs milden he went on has a smile of La Gioconda and hands and hair for leonardo to paint lady gloucester he continued leaving out the christian name is english like one of shakespeare's women desdemona or imogen and lady irene has no nationality she belongs to the dream worlds of shelley and annunzio she is the guardian lady of Shelley's shelley the vision of the lily, and you, madame, you take away all my sense of criticism. Vous m'êtes trop peu que je votre genre Mrs. Milden was soon engaged in a deep tete-a-tete with Mr. Peebles, who was heard every now and then to say, quite, quite. Miss Tring was holding forth to Sylvester, on French sculpture, and Sylvester now and again said, oh, really, in the tone of intense interest, which his friends knew indicated that he was being acutely bored. Lady Hyacinth was discussing socialism with Osmond Hall. Lady Herman was discussing the theory of evolution with Professor Newcastle mrs lockton the question of the french church with faubourg and blenheim was discharging molten fragments of embryo exordiums and perorations on the subject of the stage to wilmot in fact there was a general buzz of conversation have you been to see antony and cleopatra asked wilmot of the stranger yes said the neighbour i went last night Many authors have treated the subject, and the version I saw last night was very pretty. I couldn't get a programme, so I didn't see who— "'I think my version,' interrupted Wilmot, with pride, "'is admitted to be the best.' "'Ah, it is your version,' said the stranger. "'I beg your pardon. I think you treated the subject very well.' "'Yes,' said wilmot it is ungrateful material but i think i made something fine of it no doubt no doubt said the stranger do tell us mrs baldwin was heard to ask monsieur faubourg across the table what the young generation are doing in france who are the young novelists there are no young novelists worth mentioning answered monsieur Miss Tring broke in and said she considered La Vigeance Emmervelle by the Comtesse de Noailles to be the most beautiful book of the century, with the exception, perhaps, of the Talgebouk einer But from the end of the table, Blenheim's utterance was heard, preponderating over that of his neighbours. He was making a fine speech on the modern state comparing an actor-manager to napoleon and commenting on the campaigns of the latter in detail quite heedless of this mr wilmot was carrying on an equally impassioned but much slower monologue on his conception of the character of cyrano de bergerac which he said he intended to produce cyrano he said has been maligned by coquelin coquelin is a great artist but he did not understand cyrano cyrano is a dreamer a poet he is a martyr of thought like tolstoy a sacrifice wasted useless action like hamlet he is a Moliere come too soon a bayard come too late a john the baptist of the stage calling out in vain in the wilderness of bricks and mortar he is misunderstood an enigma an anachronism a premature herald a false dawn count sciarra was engaged in a third monologue at the head of the table he was talking at the same time to mrs bergman lady irene and lady hyacinth about the devil ah que j'aime le diable he was saying in low tender tones the devil who creates your beauty to lure us to destruction the devil who puts honey into the voice of the siren the dolce serena che immarinari in inmenso il mar des maga and he hummed this line in a sing-song two or three times over the devil, who makes us dream and doubt, and who made life interesting by persuading Eve to eat the silver apple. What would life have been if she had not eaten the apple? We should all be in the silly trees of the Garden of Eden, and I should be sitting next to you, he said to Mrs. Bergman, without knowing that you were beautiful, que vous êtes belle, et que vous êtes desirable que vous poussante et caline que j'ai fait naufrage dans une mer d'amour et il naufragion me medoce in customare en un monde que j'ai life outside the garden of eden has many drawbacks said mrs bergman who although she was inwardly pleased by Count Sciara's remarks saw by lady irene's expression that she thought he was mad alcune back, answered sciarra ne galerais salut de contempler les divines contours feminines sans une frisson pensez donc si, madame madame can sciarra interrupted mrs bergman terrified of what was coming next do tell me about the book you are writing on venice Mrs. Lockton was at that moment discussing portraiture in novels with Monsieur Faubourg, and during a pause, Miss Tring was heard to make the following remark: And is it true, Monsieur Faubourg, that Cecile in La Mauvaise Bonte is a portrait of someone you once loved and who treated you very badly? Monsieur Faubourg a little embarrassed said that a creative artist made a character out of many originals then seeing that nobody was saying a word to his neighbour he turned round and asked him if he had been to the academy yes answered the stranger it gets worse every year doesn't it but mr corporal's pictures are always worth seeing said faubourg i think he paints men better than women said the stranger he doesn't flatter people but of course his pictures are very clever at this moment the attention of the whole table was monopolised by osmond hall who began to discuss the scenario of a new play he was writing my play he began is going to be called the king of the north pole I have never been to the North Pole, and I don't mean to go there. It's not necessary to have first-hand knowledge of technical subjects in order to write a play. People say that Shakespeare must have studied law because his allusions to the law are frequent and accurate. That does not prove that he knew law any more than the fact that he put a C in Bohemia proves that he did not know geography. It proves he was a dramatist. He wanted a C in Bohemia. He wanted lawyer's shop i should do just the same thing myself i wrote a play about doctors knowing nothing about medicine i asked a friend to give me the necessary information shakespeare i expect asked his friends to give him the legal information he required every allusion to shakespeare was a stab to mrs bergman shakespeare's knowledge of the law is very thorough broke in lockton not so thorough as the knowledge of medicine which is revealed in my play said hall shakespeare knew law by intuition murmured wilmot but he did not guess what the modern stage would make of his plays let us hope not said giles shakespeare said Fulberg, was a psychologue he had the power i cannot say it in english de diviner secr ne seve pas on poussant dans le fond et fond des sonve Gammon, said hall he had the power of asking his friends for the information he required do you really think asked giles that before he wrote time delves the parallel on beauty's brow he consulted his lawyer as to a legal metaphor suitable for a sonnet and do you think asked mrs duncan that he asked his female relations what it would feel like to be jealous of octavia if one happened to be cleopatra shakespeare was a married man said hall and if his wife found the manuscripts of his sonnets lying about he must have known a jealous woman shakespeare evidently didn't trouble his friends for information on natural history not for a playwright said hall i myself should not mind what liberty i took with the cuckoo the bee or even the basilisk i should not trouble you for accurate information on the subject i should not even mind saying the cuckoo lays eggs in its own nest if it suited the dramatic situation the whole of this conversation was torture to mrs bergman shakespeare said lady hyacinth had a universal nature one can't help thinking he was almost like god that's what people will say of me a hundred years hence said hall only it is to be hoped they'll leave out the almost shakespeare understood love said lady herman in a loud voice he knew how a man makes love to a woman if richard the third had made love to me as shakespeare describes him doing it i'm not sure i could have resisted him but the finest of all shakespeare's men is othello that's a real man desdemona was a fool it's not wonderful that othello didn't see through iago but desdemona ought to have seen through him the stupidest woman can see through a clever man like him but of course othello was a fool too Yes broke in mrs lockton if napoleon had married desdemona he would have made iago marry one of his sisters i think desdemona is the most pathetic of shakespeare's heroines said lady hyacinth don't you think so mr hall it's easy enough to make a figure pathetic who is strangled by a nigger answered hall now if desdemona had been a negro shakespeare would have started fair if shakespeare had lived now he would have written novels said faubourg yes said mrs baldwin i feel sure you are right there if shakespeare had lived now said Sciara to mrs bergman we shouldn't notice his existence he would be just un monsieur comme tout le monde like that monsieur sitting next to faubourg he added in a low voice the problem about shakespeare broken hall is not how he wrote his plays i could teach a poodle to do that in half an hour but the problem is what made him leave off writing just when he was beginning to know how to do it it is as if i had left off writing plays ten years ago perhaps said the stranger hesitatingly and modestly he had made enough money by writing plays to retire on his earnings and live in the country nobody took any notice of this remark if bacon was really the playwright said lockton the problem is a very different one if bacon had written shakespeare's plays said sylvester they wouldn't have been so bad there seems to me to be only one argument said professor morgan in favour of the bacon theory and that is that the range of mind displayed in shakespeare's plays is so great that it would have been child's play for the man who wrote shakespeare's plays to have written the works of bacon yes said hall but because it would be child's play for the man who wrote my plays to have written your works and those of professor newcastle which it would it doesn't prove that you wrote my plays bacon was a philosopher said wilmot and shakespeare was a poet a dramatic poet but shakespeare was also an actor an actor-manager and only an actor-manager could have written the plays what do you think of the bacon theory asked faubourg of the stranger i think said the stranger that we shall soon have to say eggs and shakespeare instead of eggs and bacon this remark caused a slight shudder to pass through all the guests and mrs Bergman felt sorry that she had not taken decisive measures to prevent the stranger's intrusion shakespeare wrote his own plays said sciara and i don't know if he knew law but he knew le corps de la femme cleopatra bids her slave find out the colour of octavia's hair that is just what my wife my angelica would do if i were to marry someone in london while she was at rome mr gladstone used to say broke in lockton that dante was inferior to shakespeare because he was too great an optimist dante was not an optimist said sciarra about the future life of politicians but i think they were both of them pessimists about man and both optimists about god shakespeare began blenheim but he was interrupted by mrs duncan who cried out i wish he were alive now and would write me a part a real woman's part the women have so little to do in shakespeare's plays there's juliet but one can't play juliet till one's forty and then one's too old to look fourteen there's lady Macbeth, but she's got nothing to do except walk in her sleep and say out damn spot they were not actresses in his days and of course it was no use writing a woman's part for a boy you should have been born in france said fauberg racine's women are created for you to play ah oh, you've got sarah said mrs duncan you don't want anyone else i think racine's boring said mrs lockton he's so artificial oh don't say that said giles racine is the most exquisite of poets so sensitive so acute and so harmonious i like rostand better said mrs lockton rostand exclaimed miss tring in disgust he writes such bad verses duke how he's so vulgar it is true said wilmot he's an amateur he has never written professionally for his bread but only for his pleasure but in that sense said giles god is an amateur i confess said peoples that i cannot appreciate french poetry i can read rousseau with pleasure and bossuet but i cannot admire corneille and racine everybody writes plays now said faubourg with a sigh i have never written a play said lord pantry nor i said lockton but nearly every one at this table has said faubourg mrs baldwin has written matilda mr giles has written a tragedy called queen's swaflud i wrote a play in my youth my am de parma i'm sure corporal has written a play count sciarra must have written several have you ever written a play? he said, turning to his neighbor, the stranger. Yes, answered the stranger. I once wrote a play called Hamlet. You were courageous with such an original before you, said Faubourg severely. Yes, said the stranger. The original was very good, but I think, he added modestly, that I improved upon it. Encore une sur des paradoxes murmured Faubourg to himself in disgust. In the meantime, Wilmot was giving Professor Morgan the benefit of his views on Greek art, punctuated with allusions to tariff reform and devolution for the benefit of Blenheim. Luncheon was over, and cigarettes were lighted mrs bergman had quite made up her mind that she had been cheated and there was only one thing for which she consoled herself and that was that she had not waited for luncheon but had gone down immediately since so far all her guests had kept up a continuous stream of conversation which had every now and then become general though they still every now and then glanced at the empty chair and wondered what the coming attraction was going to be mrs milden had carried on two almost interrupted tete-a-tete's first with one of her neighbours then with the other in fact everybody had talked except the stranger who had hardly spoken and since faubourg had turned away from him in disgust nobody had taken any further notice of him mrs baldwin remarking this good-naturedly leant across the table and asked him if he had come to london for the wagner cycle no he answered i came for the horse show at olympia at this moment count sciarra having finished his third cigarette turned to his hostess and thanked her for having allowed him to meet the most beautiful women of london in the most beautiful house in london and in the house of the most beautiful hostess in london j'ai vous chez vous he said les lits argentes et la rose blanche mais vous était la rose écolate la rose de mort d'entre les parfums vivres dans mon cœur, comme un doré and here he hummed in a sing-song io son contava io son dottor serena adio dottor serena then he suddenly and abruptly got up kissed his hostess's hand vehemently three times and said he was very sorry but he must hasten to keep a pressing engagement he then left the room mrs bergman got up and said let us go upstairs "'But the men had most of them to go, "'some to the House of Commons, "'others to fulfil various engagements. "'The stranger thanked Mrs. Bergman "'for her kind hospitality and left, "'and the remaining guests, "'seeing that it was obvious "'that no further attraction was to be expected, "'now took their leave reluctantly and went, "'feeling that they had been cheated. "'Angela Lockton stayed a moment.' who were you expecting louise dear she asked only an old friend said mrs bergman whom you would all have been very glad to see only as he doesn't want anybody to know he's in london i couldn't tell you all who he was but tell me now said mrs lockton you know how discreet i am i promised not to dearest angela she answered and by the way what was the name of the man you brought with you didn't i tell you how stupid of me said mrs lockton it's a very easy name to remember shakespeare william shakespeare end of section seven